What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, September the 21st, 2021. This is episode 83 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast. If you listen just to the audio, you have Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Basically, anywhere you find your podcast, you can find this one. Uh, if you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show. You get this episode along with the 82 prior. This may actually be a pretty good one uh, if you're someone who typically just listens to check out the YouTube channel. By the way, while you're over there, please subscribe. Make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you'll get a notification anytime new content is uploaded. Because this week, we're going to go over the three three-year-old races from Parks on Saturday. The Gallant Bob, the Cotillion, the Pennsylvania Derby. And I had someone, I don't remember who was in a comment or a tweet, but ask about the fair odds and the value line and how you go through and what the logic is behind it. Could I do sort of a little tutorial? Well, this was a good opportunity to do it with some good racing as well. So you'll see I'll show past performances, some markups, and then also the little spreadsheet that I use that spits out the odds. And maybe it's something that you can use in your handicapping going forward. I think it's a very vital piece to recognizing in gambling. We need to stop being so selection-oriented and look at things from a probability standpoint and try to take advantage when the odds are in your favor. So hopefully that's what we can talk about a little bit this week with those three races, and we'll wrap things up with a little bit of a wrinkle with the football piece because producer Craig has a new podcast out, and I gave a selection over there. You can find that there as far as the spread is concerned. But for now, I'll just start ripping through the entire slate of games and it, one of my favorite things to do over on 538.com, they have a little uh, forecast piece that you can go through and assign a probability to each one of the games, and you can track throughout the season how you do compared to 538's model, and then against the public in general. So that's how I'm going to approach that. There are some odds in there as well. That'll be at the end of the show, uh, and then we'll get you out of here. But this is going to be a good, I think it's a good one. I, I think this is a good episode to dive into. Some different things, some thoughts, a little bit of handicapping, a little bit of the, the thought process from a probability standpoint, and where you can and can't take advantage of things. Before we get into the races themselves, we have to acknowledge that the Baffert horses are not running in these races. Uh, Medina Spirit and the Philly, who a private mission, I believe is her name, uh, they've been withdrawn from the Cotillion and the Pennsylvania Derby, respectively. Yes, private mission is the three-year-old Philly. You know, he said he didn't like the draw from Medina Spirit. I get that because Medina Spirit to me is still, until proven otherwise, he's a one-way speed. And there looks to be a fair amount of early gas in this one. So I don't think it was going to set up very well for him. I just don't know why the filly isn't coming into the race because on paper, she would have had the perfect setup. She would have been the controlling speed in a grade one for three-year-olds and a million-dollar purse. Some folks have brought up the fact that maybe it's a logistical thing from it's very difficult, you know, the cost to ship one horse out as opposed to you had a couple, you might as well send them. I do recognize that, and I, I'm not arguing that piece. I just, man, how often are you going to be arguably the horse to beat? And I get it. That's, that's a good field, and you'll hear in the handicapping segment. Controlling speed in a three-year-old restricted grade one for a million bucks? I'm doing everything in my power to get that girl on the plane and send her out to a track that I've had a great deal of success at in the past. Um, so we'll see. It sounds like they're both now pointing to the open races at Santa Anita, the Awesome Again, as well as the Zenyatta. They're going to have to take on older horses now, but who knows? And by the way, 
as difficult as this Pennsylvania Derby is for Medina Spirit, that awesome again looks like it's shaping up to be a, a bit of a firecracker. Tripoli, Idol, just to name a couple that may be going in there. Now you add Medina Spirit to the mix. I mean, I don't know how much easier it's going to get for him. Maybe the complexion of the race helps, but something to keep an eye on going forward. So the Baffert horses, they're out of these two races. But let's get into the three three-year-old stakes races. Talk about some probabilities, how I go through. Maybe you can start doing this sort of thing um, and not get so set into, ah, I love this horse, I want to bet him. Well, what if you love the horse and you want to bet him, but they go off at an underlaid price? You should be avoiding that and pivoting to odds that are in your favor as opposed to against you. So maybe that's what we can talk about here in this spot. And again, we'll wrap up ripping through the NFL Week 3 slate at the end of the show. So without further ado, here we go. Let's kick it off with the gallant Bob and Jackie's Warrior. Let's get into some handicapping and also, you know, get into the fair odds thing and, and how this works, uh, how I go through and price out races. And, you know, I've said it a million times, your value line or your fair odds line is only as good as it is accurate. The only way you're going to know how accurate your stuff is, is keeping records and then being able to adapt. If you see that your three to one shots are winning more frequently or less frequently than three to one shots should. So what I'm going to do, you see right now on the screen, the far left are past performances. We're going to go through the gallant Bob, the cotillion and the Pennsylvania Derby. And on the right side of the screen is a spreadsheet that I've put together we're only going to focus on this piece here. These are going to be the odds for each individual runner. It will spit out fair odds and then value odds. And the way I, I'm just calling them value odds. If you've ever read uh, the the big Barry Meadow book, uh, you know, Money Management at the Racetrack or somewhere thereabouts, I'm going to butcher the title. He suggests a 50% increase over what you deem fair odds because over the long haul, look, right, wrong, or indifferent, you're going to be wrong more often than you're right. You need to bake in a little bit of wiggle room. Some folks just play right off the fair odds. Some folks, you don't go out to 50%. Some maybe only 20 or 25. It's entirely up to you as the gambler. Um, for what it's worth, the other pieces of this spreadsheet that I've put together, this part down here would be another race. Uh, this table to the right of this uh, little piece up at the top for this individual race and the odds is an exacta sort of percentage. So you'll see that populate if you're watching over on YouTube, when we put in all the odds or the percentages for each runner in each one of these races. And then this table beneath it is actually a daily double fair odds piece using this first one up here in the upper left. And this one just beneath it here for the two races back to back. But we're only going to really focus on this top left corner with the odds and the percentages that I've assigned to each one of these runners. And I'm not going to take a great deal of time with the gallant Bob. There's one horse in here that everybody needs to deal with. It's Jackie's warrior. The reason though, I like this race is because it illustrates in my eyes. And I talk about it, how I think sometimes some people overestimate the chances of horses and the probability of them actually winning. This to me is one of the rare instances where I have a horse that, Seven out of 10 or 70 out of 100 times, I think they win the race. And some people will even say that's not being aggressive enough. But fact of the matter, at least the way that I approach it, I don't have many of these horses that I'll assign odds like that to simply because of randomness. This is one of those times, though. So the number one is real talk. I made him 
nine to one. So I'm going to punch it in over here. I gave him a 10% chance of winning. You'll see if you're watching on YouTube, the fair odds, that would be nine to one value odds. If you're including 50% on top, it'd be 13 and a half to one. Uh, Real Talk has paired up 90 buyer speed figures. I think he could have a forward move. The problem is for him and Carlos David and everyone involved, a forward move probably still has him 10 lengths behind a horse like Jackie's Warrior. Uh, the number two new bomb for Kelly Breen. And that's the other piece to this too. You're going to hear some of these odds and they're going to sound wild, but it, it, you have to be honest. There's only a 100% outcome of this race something is going to happen a horse is going to win you have to be real about what you think the chances of each one of these runners is also considering and remembering that the morning line has more of a percentage or numbers allotted to it than a value line or a fair odds line does fair odds has to be 100 the morning line is going to bake in the takeout so up to 120 125 somewhere in that ballpark is typically where you're going to see a morning line shakeout so Newbaum is 10 to 1 on the morning line. I made him, I gave him a 2% chance of winning this race. So we punch in 2%, 49 to 1 would be fair odds, or if you want to round to 50, value odds would be roughly 74 to 1. Point being, I don't think he's got much of a chance to win. But there are going to be those times that he does win, and I'll have to say, well, it fell into one of the 50 times that I think he would win this race. We go on to the number three, Awesome Jerry. Again, eight to one on the morning line. Sounds like a big time chance. As far as I'm concerned, he has a 1% chance of winning this race. 99 to one odds. The number four, Pickin' Time. A horse that makes plenty of sense if you're looking for alternatives. Golden Brown, the runner-up in that uh, Jersey bred stakes race going six furlongs. He came back and won next out with an 85 on grass. Point being, though, you take a look at Pickin' Time's body of work. He's just not fast enough to run with a horse like Jackie's Warrior. I give him a 2% chance of winning the race, 49 to 1 odds. The number five, Marvelous Mike. Fine horse, nothing wrong with him. Way over his head in this race. 1% chance, 99 to 1. Baron, who I think you can make the case is the alternative. If you really are trying to beat Jackie's Warrior. He's run well at parks in the past. He's a perfect three for three going six furlongs. I think he is better going one as opposed to two turns. I gave him a 14% chance of winning this race. That checks out to six to one odds. That would be fair. And if you're someone who's trying to bake in 50% on top, nine to one. So as far as I'm concerned, especially in a race like this with a horse like Jackie's Warrior, I wouldn't be betting him at anything less than the nine to one. And he's probably unlikely to get there. And you get to the big fella on the far outside, Jackie's Warrior. You'll also note that I highlighted this. This may be the piece for that if you want to come down a little bit from, I'm giving him a 70% chance of winning this race, 0.7. That equates to two to five odds. Value odds would be three to five. You'll note that I highlighted, looked like a tired horse on the gallop out, one too many giant efforts, question mark. He had to work so hard to win that race. And he ran so fast in the Amsterdam and he had to work so hard in the Woody Stevens and he couldn't quite get there. And he ran such a giant race in the Pat Day mile. I threw it out on Twitter a few weeks ago. Maybe we'll find out Saturday. Maybe we won't. Is there a, is there a breaking point? Is there a point in which he regresses because he has had so many tough races or is he just hickory and he just continues to get better and better and better at any rate, he could, he could regress 10 points. Hell, let's just call it lengths. He could regress probably five to 10 lengths and still win this race. 
he to me is what a 70% chance looks like. He's four to five on the morning line. I made him two to five fair odds value odds would be three to five in all likelihood. He's one to nine or one to five. That's how I'm looking at this race. So no, there's no selection in here. I mean, I guess I'm just saying Jackie's warrior. I think he's the most likely winner by far. And again, if you're watching over on YouTube, that's what these numbers are. These are two one odds. So you all likelihood, depending on what your ADW is, have to multiply by two to get a fair price in here. But these are the numbers that you would be looking at a Jackie's warrior with someone or someone with a Jackie's warrior from an exacta standpoint. Um, that's how I go through and price out races. And that's the first one we'll talk about the gallant Bob. I have Jackie's warrior fair odds, two to five value odds, three to five in all likelihood, he goes off one to nine or one to five. First of the two grade ones, the cotillion for three-year-old fillies. Uh, the Baffert filly has been withdrawn, so that changes the complexion of the race, both from a pace standpoint, but also from a gambling standpoint. We'll start with obligatory. Look, I've never been a huge fan of hers. I think she's good. I think she's a closing sprinter. She does deserve an opportunity anyway to stretch out in distance, and based on the way the test was run, she probably didn't have much of a chance. I'm giving her a 14% chance of winning the race. So again, those of you over on YouTube, you can see that checks out to six to one odds, nine to one odds from a value standpoint, 50% on top. Uh, also, I highlighted a couple of things in the PPs. You'll see early in her career, she paired up career bests at the moment of 79 that preceded a forward move to a 93. So just as an example, and you'll see it a few times, I, I talk about it frequently, but showing you, this is the sort of move that I'm talking about, that you pair up those tops, it can precede a forward move. Uh, all worthy. I'm not going to spend time on the ones that I haven't given much of a chance. 2% chance. 49 to one odds. The three, Will Secret, 4% chance, 24 to one odds. The four, Maracuja, 4%, 24 to one odds. Army Wife, I think is the horse to beat in here for Mike Maker. You go through this race because there are all, it's a relatively evenly matched group. You have no superstars in here, but Army Wife, all she does is continue to get better. And you can see that line that I've drawn in the past performances from her first dirt start, the race in which she broke her maiden, race number four, every start since then has been an incremental improvement, not by leaps and bounds, an incremental improvement, 65 to 73 to 77, 82, 86, 90, 92. I thought she ran just fine in the Alabama. I liked her that day. I picked her. I bet her. And she just got beat by two better horses. Now, I saved two better horses. She got run down by Malathot. Not going to hold that against her. Clarier, I'm not 100% convinced, is better than Army Wife. And you can see, based on the way that I have priced the race out, I have Army Wife winning this race 22% of the time. That checks out to 7-2 to two odds. If you're someone factoring in a 50% overlay of those prices or whatever it may be, 5-1. to one. So I'm going to look to bet Army Wife at odds of 5-1 to one or better. I recognize she's unlikely to get to that point. But that's the point of this exercise is you're identifying overlays. Don't settle for underlays just because it's the horse that you picked or it's the most likely winner. Now, I'm not saying bet overlays. You know, if you got a horse pegged at 24 to one, they go off at 50 to one. Well, 24 to one is not the most likely scenario anyway. If you want to throw a couple of funny money dollars on there, go right ahead. But I'm not saying all of a sudden back up the Brinks truck. But with a horse like Army Wife, 
again, the shorter prices are the ones that are more likely to actually win statistically. So if you can get an overlay on those, that's when you're supposed to take advantage. I made her seven to two. She's seven to two on the morning line. And again, the morning line probably isn't something I should be referencing because I'm sure it'll be different now. I'm sure there is something out there with an altered morning line with the defection of the Baffert runner. Clarier, I don't have a problem with her. You'll see she did pair up career buyer tops at the beginning of the spring, 91s. And no, she did not move forward in the next start in the CCA Oaks, but that was with an interesting ride, let's say. She moved a little bit early. I think he got the forward move in the Alabama, and it was just a fractional forward move to a 93. I give her a 20% chance of winning the race. That's four to one odds. If you're looking for a 50% overlay, it would be six to one. We move to the number seven, private mission. She's been withdrawn from Baffert and company. She will not be making the trip. The eight, always Karina, is probably the most polarizing horse for me in this race because I've never really understood all the hype. And the other piece for me that I don't really know what to do with, the two times she's been tested have been her two losses. And now stretching out in distance, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like there was a method to the the madness to turn her back to seven eighths of a mile from that mother goose going a, a mile and a 16th. And it didn't work. She was close to a pace that there, it just didn't really kind of materialize. And I don't know. Why, why should she be anything shorter than what I made her? I made her a 17% chance, which checks out to five to one odds or seven to one. And I suppose if you really wanted to split hairs, you could say 50% on top of five to one would be seven and a half. You should round up to eight. That's up to you as the handicapper. I made it seven. And then that leaves us to the outside horse. And if I were publicly going to go through this race and make a pick, let's say with an NBC broadcast, or uh, we can talk about it, I'm sure. The race will come up in happy hour on Thursday. Leader of the band, the number nine horse for John Service. I made her a 17% chance of winning this race. I'm sure some folks would look at this and go, how could you possibly have her at 17 and a horse like Obligatory, who is a graded stakes winner, has run faster, 14% and six to one. What's my opinion? You may think Obligatory is a three to one chance. I'll disagree with that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right or wrong. And that's what I, going back to last week's show, the idea of not being so results oriented, looking at things more from a probability standpoint. I think leader of the band should be five to one. I think I'm going to even get the 50% overlay to seven to one. I thought her Catherine Sophia was really strong. She ran into a race that had zero pace. The winner was the pace setter throughout. The fourth place finisher has already come back to win, and she earned an 85 that day. I think leader of the band, yes, this is an acid test. She's going to need to run far and away the best race of her life, but she is a graded stakes winner. She won the Monmouth Oaks two starts back, going two turns. She's run well at parks in the past, and I don't know that she's running into any monsters. Army wife, Maracuja. Clarier, obligatory. They're all good fillies. Always Karina. But I don't think you're shaking in your boot. None of them are Malathot, put it that way. Which makes me want to look at a horse like leader of the band and say, fig-wise, you're not that far behind. I think she continues to improve. And yes, she needs to run much, much faster. But given the wide trip she had in the Catherine Sophia chasing no pace, I think it was a good race. 
I think she's interesting at a price. So if I were going to make a pick for the race, I would be picking leader of the band because I don't know that I think any of the other girls are head and shoulders above everyone else. I think the most likely winner of the race is Army Wife, but leader of the band would be the kind of Philly that I'd be looking to bet in here, hopefully at odds of seven to one, although fair odds to me would be five to one. That's how I go through and price out a race and what my logic is when we start handicapping and going over different pieces. Let me know what your thoughts are about the cotillion beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Grade one Pennsylvania Derby, a hell of a race. This is a really, really good race. Um, I suppose this is actually a, a perfect argument for why the three-year-old restricted race this late in the year grade one status is as valuable as it is because all these horses are going to avoid taking on elders and it's another chance to run for a million dollars against your own age. I, I think it's, you know, the, the, the historic part of me hates to see that it has really cannibalized some of the bigger late season races, you know, the jockey club gold cup having to move because of timing and things like that. Um, I mean, there are many instances of that and sort of examples, but I guess that means that this is the beneficiary. And if it gives us a great race every September, why not? Especially at a track that say what you will about, you know, people have picked on parks because of, you know, takeout and things like that. And rightfully so. But I do like the fact that a, a smaller circuit gets, attracts this kind of a field. Um, so let's just take it right in order. Folsom, 24 to 1. I give him a 4% chance of winning. He's a nice horse. I don't really have giant beefs with him. The problem is outside of that Matt Wynn, that 97 buyer, he's just really not all that fast. And he's taking on some really damn good horses on Saturday. So for me, he's he's an outsider, but I do get the, the appeal. I mean, he, he's a racehorse. He's won at parks. And he, he more often than not, has found the winner's circle. So we'll find out. you got to respect anything that Cox, Giroux, and Judmont team up on. Keep me in mind. 4%, 24 to 1 chance. He's 8 to 1 in the morning line, another morning line that has been or will be changed radically because of the defection of Medina Spirit. Um, you can see I have circled on the past performances. If you're watching on YouTube, he had paired up 97s in the Ohio Derby and the Jim Dandy. I thought it would lead to a forward move. Having said that, I didn't think he would get a better setup than he did in Jim Dandy, and I was against him. Well, in fact, he did move forward, and it still didn't matter. Granted, there was no pace for him to run at in the, in the Travers, but I think that's what he is. And that's a really good racehorse. The problem is it probably makes him fifth or sixth best in this field. Um, at 24 to one, I just don't think he's got much of a chance in here to win. He could certainly suck up and get a piece, but I don't think he can win. Or I shouldn't say that. I think he is an unlikely winner. Uh, the three speakers corner. He feels like the wise guy of all wise guy horses. His run at Saratoga was, I thought, pretty spectacular. That was his first start as a three-year-old, his first start since October of last year, going seven-eighths of a mile. He was close to a pretty pedestrian pace, but boy, did he finish like a freight train, and he galloped out massive. The fifth-place finisher came back and earned an 87 buyer on turf. I have two questions or two unknowns about Speaker's Corner. First, he's, he's never gone two turns. So there's no guarantee. I think he will appreciate it, but there's no guarantee. And then two, that massive effort came with Lasix, and he will not have Lasix in Saturday's race. Does that mean that he can't run fast? I, I, I don't know. 
I can't say definitively one way or the other. He broke his maiden without LASIK. He, he ran twice last year without it. So to just assume that he won't be able to improve or run just as fast as that one-on-one buyer on Saturday, I think is a little presumptive, but I think it's equally as presumptive that he's just a shoe in to run as well as he did without it. I made him six to one. If you got nine to one, I would definitely be betting him. I have a feeling he's the wise guy horse in here and he's going to take a boatload of money. The four Wayburn. I've spoken about Wayburn in the past. I think he's an underrated horse. I think he's talented. You can see I circled this piece right here and the, the Timeform US pace figures will illustrate what I'm talking about. He made the move into the hottest pace of the race in the Jim Dandy, a race where the pace fell apart. He paid the price, finished up the track, finishing fourth there in a field of five. I don't think that race was nearly as bad as it looks on paper. Again, essential quality, came back and won the Travers with the 107 buyer. Wayburn should be forward. I think they have to be aggressive with him out of there if he's going to win this race. I think he's a pretty damn good horse, though. Eight to one, 11% chance. That was as low as I could, in my opinion, reasonably go. Um, but am I, you know, chomping at the bit to bet him? Not really. I think he's a good horse. If he went off at, if, if they totally overlooked him at 15 to one or something like that, I would definitely think about it. But he is far from the most likely winner of this bunch. But if he does get lost in the shuffle, which is totally possible given this, the depth of this field, uh, maybe he is one to consider. I am redeemed. No disrespect to everyone involved. He continues to improve. He's done nothing wrong. I give him a 2% chance of winning this race, 49 to one odds. Uh, Brabonic, another one, no disrespect. He has no pace. He's yet to run overly fast. He's taking on a good group. I give him a 2% chance, 49 to one odds. The horse to beat, no question about it, is Hot Rod Charlie. Now, I give him a 32% chance of winning this race. That equates to two to one odds. I think a 50% overlay or a 50% overlay on top of that would be three to one odds. He's fast. He's tactical. And while I did question taking the blinkers off in the Haskell and taking him off the pace, maybe that works to his advantage. I don't know. I look at it this time around and say, screw it, go, go. You know, Midnight Bourbon's going to be there. We'll get to him in a minute. But I don't, I don't want this horse to all of a sudden lose any kind of tactical speed he's got. The beautiful thing about Hot Rod Charlie, and you'll see that I have highlighted there the Timeform US pace figs beneath his running line in that Haskell. He, he is very sneaky good at just clipping off even numbers, even numbers, even numbers. So while I hate the term cruising speed, he would kind of be it if you are someone to use that. To me, it's just, it's just he's a fast horse. But you can see that he's clipping off 47 and 3. Another quarter in 23 and one, another quarter in 23 and four is final eighth and 12 and two. If you want to stretch that out to another eighth of a mile, tack on a 12 and three, you're going to be right in that sort of 25 range. He just clips him off. He did it. He went fast in the Belmont, but I mean, even go back to the Kentucky Derby. 47 and two, 48 and two, final quarter in 25, very even fractions. He's a galloper. He's going to go look at the Louisiana Derby. 47, 24 and one, 43 and four for that last stretch. And you look at the pace figs, 126, 118, 116. The Kentucky Derby, 121, 126, 119. The Haskell, 124, 124, 126, 124. He just gets out there and goes. He goes, he goes, he goes. And that is a sneaky good trait to have. 
because he's fast enough to be forward, but he can sustain that. And you're going to see something very different momentarily. Hot Rod Charlie, 32% in my eyes, two to one odds, 50% overlay would be three to one. Midnight Bourbon is what I'm discussing when I say the opposite. I give him a 17% chance of winning this race. And I'm sure there will be some folks who go, how could you possibly do that? He was only a neck beaten by essential quality and this, that, and the other. Well, I think the 107 buyer and the giant Timeform US fig, the, the raw number anyway, the 126, the, the unadjusted pace number, is because of the way the race played out. We talk about race shape very often. You see I have highlighted here, peak effort will never beat essential quality. And I, I believe that until proven otherwise. The reason I'm saying he's the, I don't want to call him the opposite, but why I just think Hot Rod Charlie's a better horse. And I like a, I like Midnight Bourbon. I've been a fan of his since he was a two-year-old. Those of you who have been along for the ride, you know that. Look at the pace figs for the Travers and how slow they went early. And he sprinted home. It really was run like a turf race in a way. And the, the raw fractions themselves, 48 and four, just a shade under 49, 49 and four. And then he gets his final quarter in 23 flat, almost 23 and one. The pace figs of 113, 109, and then all of a sudden zipped up to 126. They sprinted home because there was no speed. When he's had to go faster in the past, you see that it takes a little bit out of him. The Preakness is the example. He's really close to a hot pace. 141 pace fig, 135 pace fig. He finishes really well, but the final fig, not incorporating the pace, is 117. You look at that Haskell, and yes, I know he fell down because he clipped heels. But you even see this piece right here that I have highlighted. Was backing up, wouldn't have factored in the outcome. Because in my opinion, because he had to go as fast as he did early, 130, 127, 126, he was starting to back up. Now look at the figs in that race compared to Hot Rod Charlie's in the Haskell. 124, 124, 126, 124. Hot Rod Charlie is capable of running reasonably fast fractions, but maintaining that. As opposed to Midnight Bourbon, who if he has to go that fast, this is my opinion, if he has to go that fast, it takes something out of him late. And that's why I'm not 100% convinced that at this level, at this distance, this is ideal for him. There's a part of me that thinks he is a horse that would be better suited in a race like the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, where he can go faster. Look at the, look at the Kentucky Derby, 103, 118, 110. Yeah, he had to crank it up a little bit in that interior fraction, but it was enough that sapped some of the energy out of him late. Granted, he was very wide. The Louisiana Derby, there really didn't, I have written in here, this is my note from just after the race. Doesn't seem to have the finish needed grinder. Look at the pace figs. We kind of back that up. 124, 116, 114. Come back here to this race here. When he, he runs very well in the Risen Star. He's gutsy. He's not flashy, but he tries. 120, 117, 113, 110. When he has to go a little faster early, he just doesn't have the finish. But when you allow him to kind of set very, very moderate fraction, yes, bang, he can kick home like a mule. He projects to be the controlling speed in this race now. I, I just wonder if, hot, I think Hot Rod Charlie, if he presses him, I think it's going to be to Midnight Bourbon's demise. Put it that way. 
Midnight Bourbon, I give him a 17% chance, five to one odds. If you're looking for the 50% overlay, that's seven to one. We've talked about it. Medina Spirit has been withdrawn. And then we get to, in my opinion, the horse that if I was making a pick for this race, I would be most interested in. And that's American Revolution for Todd Pletcher. I'm giving him a 14% chance of winning this race, six to one odds. That is nine to one with a 50% overlay. American Revolution, when I first watched the tape, I go, what's going on here? Because he was extremely early to change leads in the Albany. He was extremely early to change leads in his maiden score at Belmont Park back in the middle of June. The New York Derby at Finger Lakes, he changes leads on cue, but he gets extremely drifty when he feels the whip either way. And at the end, he just kind of looks like he's not exhausted, but he's just sort of just running. I, to me, when I first saw the early lead change watching the Albany, I said, oh, this is not good. Well, let me go back and watch again. And when he was pretty professional with the lead changes in the New York Derby, didn't bother me as much. But out of curiosity, I, I needed to see the maiden score. And when he was really, really early to change there, I came to the conclusion that he's just very green. And you can see I have it circled there on the screen. I think he's green. I think he's figuring this thing out. He's only raced four times. But he, I think he's got quite a bit of talent. For Todd to run him here, I think speaks volumes of what they think of him. And I, you'll note that I have highlighted the running line from the Albany. And what does it remind you of? He ran pace figs of 119, 119, 120, 118. Sounds kind of similar or familiar, doesn't it, from somebody we were just talking about? Go back to Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie, that last run in the Haskell, 124, 124, 126, 124. Now, Captain Obvious, Hot Rod Charlie's faster from a speed figure standpoint than American Revolution is. American Revolution needs to run faster if he's going to win this race. But he's never taken a backward step. You can see that line that I have drawn up. And the other piece that, that feels very obvious to me, but this is what I think this exercise hopefully is, is explaining and showing. Why, why hammering home the idea of don't be so result-oriented, look at it from a probability standpoint. There's a chance that Hot Rod Charlie has run as fast as he's going to run this year. And that maybe even the 108 was that big shot of his. And maybe he's somewhere between a 100 and a 108. Maybe he's like a 103 or a 104, which is still very fast. But I, I, I'm not all of the sudden expecting him to move forward again. He could, because we haven't seen him since the middle of July. He could move forward. American Revolution, though, is still so lightly raced, and he's only routed twice, and it seems like he's still a work in progress, that he could move forward. That's why I'm making him 14%, 6 to 1 odds. Compared to Hot Rod Charlie, we're making 32%. So he is more than twice as likely, in my opinion, to win the race as opposed to American Revolution. The odds reflect that. Two to one for Hot Rod Charlie, six to one for American Revolution. But from a gambling standpoint, with the presence of the Godolphin horse in here, who I think is going to be the wise guy horse for Mott, American Revolution to me, there's a chance that he may go off at that 50% overlay on top of my fair odds, which would be six to one. The 50% translates to nine to one. American revolution would be the horse that I would pick in the race. 
And there's a part of me that I'm very hopeful that I could be betting on him. But you also need to think of it as, great, you're hopeful you can bet on him, but there's a chance that, who knows, maybe Midnight Bourbon goes off at 7-1. to one. Very unlikely, but you never know. Maybe there's a chance the Hot Rod Charlie goes off at 3-1. to one. You have to factor in that you're looking at the overlays, not so much selection-oriented or result-oriented. Look for the overlaid odds and try to take advantage of them. If the Godolphin horse, for whatever reason, goes off at 9-1, to one, I'll bet him. Because I think that's fair. More than fair. I think six is fair. I think at nine would be very juicy. I think he's going to be the wise guy horse. I could see him going off five or six to one as, as less, probably the third choice in this race. The defection of Medina Spirit certainly changes the complexion some, but I think it's a great race. I'll be very curious to see how the whole thing plays out. And if any of these horses outside of Hot Rod Charlie can truly show that they belong in the conversation for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Suppose Medina Spirit, or excuse me, uh, Midnight Bourbon, you could say that about right now. But I, I want to see that giant speed figure again one more time, perhaps in a, let's say, a scenario that is not nearly as conducive to a giant fig as the one that he had in the Travers. Let me know your overall thoughts on this sort of exercise that we went through, showing you fair odds, how I go through and price things out, and just overall thoughts on the Pennsylvania Derby, the Cotillion, or the Gallant Bop. We're going to change up the football a little bit because there's a new podcast, part of the In The Money Media Network, from producer Craig. And it's called Odds Honest Truth. So actual picks for me as far as a, a game with the spread, that's going to go over there. But one of the things that I enjoy doing, and um, I would encourage folks, you don't even have to be somebody that goes through and, and puts together models, but 538. Um, they have a, a section that you can go through and assign a percentage to each game throughout the week. There's an overall leaderboard. There are leaderboards you can put together with friends and all sorts of different stuff. But basically, it just it figures out how accurate your predictions are and your forecasts are. So I'm going to go through. I'll give you what I have from a model standpoint from a score for each one of these games the percentage chance that I have of each team winning, uh, and what that equates to from a money line standpoint. I'm not suggesting betting any of these money lines unless you have overlaid odds, but some of them are going to be pretty short just based on the numbers that come out. So do with that what you will. Uh, if you're looking for a spread, there'll be a pick that I'll give out over on that other podcast from producer Craig, uh, Odds Honest Truth. So I'm just going to rip through from Thursday night to Monday night, right in order, be a bit of a shorter segment as well. Thursday night, Carolina Panthers at the Houston Texans. The Texans are eight-point underdogs at home. I have Carolina winning 24-19. to That's a 65% chance of victory. Those odds equate to minus 186. On Sunday, Washington football team at the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills are eight-point favorites. I have the Bills winning 25-16. 76% chance of winning. Odds of minus 317. Chicago Bears at the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are seven-point favorites. I have the Browns winning 24-17. to That's a 71% win chance. Minus 245 from a money line standpoint. The Baltimore Ravens. At the Detroit Lions, the Lions are nine-point dogs at home. I have the Ravens winning 36-24. That is an 84% chance of victory, minus 525 odds. The Arizona Cardinals at the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are seven-and-a-half-point favor. Uh, excuse me, dogs at home. I have Arizona winning 25-14, to 83% uh, chance of victory, minus 488 as far as money line odds are concerned. 
Los Angeles Chargers at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are six and a half point favorites at home. I have Kansas City winning 23 to 17, 68% chance of victory, minus 213 money line odds. New Orleans Saints at the New England Patriots. The Patriots uh, are three point favorites in Foxborough. Keep in mind, I'm using it's far too early in the year to be factoring in the actual home field uh, that my model has spit out because the away teams actually put up quite a few points last week that skewed it all. So I'm using the two-point number. I know many books typically use three. I think two is actually a more accurate number. So um, I think that's baked into some of these numbers. But I actually have the the Saints and the Patriots. I have that tied 15-15. to 15. Basically, again, 50% chance. Coin flip, that's plus 100 on the money line. So there's not really a selection there. I suppose if you want to go with the home side, it would be the Patriots. But 15 to 15, Saints at Patriots. Uh, Atlanta Falcons at the New York Giants. The Giants are three-point favorites at home. I have the Giants winning 24 to 16, 74% chance chance of victory, uh, minus 285. Money line odds, Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are five-and-a-half-point favorites in Nashville. I have them winning 25 to 22 over the Colts, 58% chance of winning, minus 138 money line odds. Cincinnati Bengals are at the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are four-point favorites at home. I have Pittsburgh winning 18-11 to over the Bengals. It's a 70% chance of victory, minus 233 in the money line. Uh, The Jets at the Broncos. The Broncos are 10.5-point favorites at home. I have Denver winning 18-7. to There's an 83% chance of victory, minus 488 money line odds. The Dolphins are at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are minus 3.5-point favorites. I have them winning by 10, 24 to 14. That's an 80% chance of victory, minus 400 money line odds. Seattle Seahawks at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are two point dogs at home. I have Seattle winning on the road, 31 to 22. That's a 75% chance of victory, minus 300. The Bucks at the Rams. The Rams, a one point dog at home. Um, it should be a fantastic game just based on what we've seen so far here in the season, early on anyway. I have the Rams winning 25 to 19. That's a 56% chance of victory, minus 127 money line odds. Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are three and a half point favorites at home. I have them winning at home 23 to 20 over the Packers. 59% chance of victory in a minus 144 money line. And then on Monday night, the Philadelphia Eagles at the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are four point favorites at home. I have them winning 20 to 17. Over the Eagles, it's a 58% chance of victory, minus 138 on the money line. Those are the numbers that my model has spit out. Let me know what you think about any of these games beneath the video player on YouTube. And FYI, those spreads are as of Tuesday afternoon from DraftKings. There you have it. Let me know your thoughts about everything covered in this episode beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Again, however you listen, please rate, review, subscribe, leave comments, the whole nine. Thumbs up, thumbs down over on YouTube, whatever it may be. Because the more interaction we get in those sort of things, the better we are uh, able anyway to get content out to those of you who like to take it in from the In The Money media team. Uh, Again, on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Looking forward to the racing this weekend. Apologies for the day late as far as the upload is concerned. I came home from Canada yesterday from the NBCSN shows this past weekend at Woodbine. Home for one weekend, then I have a wedding next weekend, and then the following week I'll be in Stamford, Connecticut in studio for Keeneland Racing on NBCSN as well. So get a little bit of a reprieve, get a little bit of time home, which is nice. But uh, looking forward to continuing this thing 
along the road to the Breeders' Cup. Because before you know it, it's gonna be the first weekend in November, we'll be out at Del Mar checking things out and, and finding how many of these horses that we just talked about are going to be figuring prominently in the Breeders' Cup World Championships. Uh, good luck this weekend. Or let me let me do it the, the proper way. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 83 of the Matt Burnier Show. <laughs>